Well, good afternoon. This is, I hope this is working. Can you hear me? Good. That's good. Thank you very much for inviting me here on behalf of the University of Oxford and CAF. It's a great opportunity and I think that all my dears have already been confused with the uh, previous uh, speakers and, and I apologise for speaking in Spanish but I belong to a generation of Spaniards who are genetically incapable of giving speeches in English. Uh, after many failures and many attempts, I don't think it's necessary for me to even attempt this in English. What I'm going to tell you is uh, the story of a, a research project, and, it's, and I'm going to tell you the story of its uh, failure and also the opportunities uh, that the new problems have uh, given rise to in the course of this pro project. This uh, project began when economists were um, blinded by the the new reality of the emerging middle classes in Latin America. So naturally, with the, like any social uh, scientist, we felt it was very opportune to do a research uh, project about the middle classes in Latin America, hoping that, it, that economists would actually value it positively and that economists uh, are always... Uh, important to bear in mind when you're actually looking at the, the developments in a new country. So the negative consequence of this research project is that we decided to focus um, uh, on middle classes in the sense that the in the sense that the economic development that had been made it possible was were having immediate political consequences. We were led a little bit by the uh, by the uh, Aristotle's ideas. Uh, that's just, that is to say that middle classes would become more stable as they grew, and the institutions, the democratic institutions, would end up working better. We quickly found out that things are much more complicated than that, and in some cases, for example, we found that the growth of the middle classes was accompanied by. Um, a certain degree of political activity that was unexpected. And our first thought was, in the first first three years of our search project, was to try and connect the political attitudes of the new middle classes with, with their, the appearance and, and their reason for being grateful to governments that had made possible the emergence of the middle class. Well, we quickly found out that things weren't that way. We found that there were certain cases, for example, in Brazil, where the, uh, the CPC, that's those 30 million people who had come out of poverty were now the new middle class during the uh, uh, PT government. We found that there were a group of people who had become politicised and did support the the Workers' Party, the PT. Ha, if I'm not mistaken, statistics about Maria Armenia, more than 40% of, of the middle class, uh, the emerging middle class of that new uh, uh, C segment identified very st strongly with politics and within that Half of them supported uh, the Workers' Party, the PT. 
and that fitted well nicely with a, the R starting point. Or a, but we soon got to the, came to the conclusion that this um, depended a lot more on the attitude of governments and also on governments' ability to keep society united and to uh, avoid polarization. In the case of Argentina, the new middle classes supported uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 um, Kirchner governments, but but the recent Argentine government's positions have provoked a strong degree of of distrust in amongst the traditional middle classes, which already already were called, uh, generating a sort of conflict regarding uh, retention. And we found that a rural middle classes that had initially supported initial uh, Kirchner were moving against their government. So there were components that were not strictly economic nor sociological, and they could explain a little bit more the political behavior of the middle classes. And, and it were not just connected to the rise of... Uh, Middle, the middle classes and social mobility, we came to the conclusion that it was necessary to actually analyse the national contexts of, in which all these middle classes are rising. So we went down the road to perdition because the growth of, of the new middle classes was produced in very dis different national contexts according to the party systems that were existing and also the type of government that um, existed in each country. In order not to uh, go down a very long road, I, we can say that when there was a, a party system that was very weak in a country or had suffered a very strong upheaval, a, a, a good economic thrust could, could, uh, could actually help the existing government because of the support from the, mid, the emerging middle classes and it would also help in so much as that the, they, they would be, the traditional middle classes would be not, not so conflicted. And the most obvious examples are Bolivia and Ecuador. Now, as the government have been able to reduce the degree of confrontation between the traditional middle classes and other classes and not risk, let's say, economic stability in the long term and short term, then the government has been able to get a certain degree of consensus and that, and in that the, the emerging middle classes are playing a very important role. Now, what happens that now that you have the, the initial part of the project, what happens when you've got all the reasons to think that, that economic growth uh, moved by, uh, precipitated by the market and also specifically by traditional exports to China and also to the Pacific. What happens when all of that ends? Or at least at the moment, is the certain reductions going down? So what policies can we expect from the emerging middle classes that have uh, arisen? in the last uh, decade. One hypothesis about the status quo is that, that due to a certain amount of uh, speculative frustration, there's going to be over, uh, a certain frustration about expectations. There's going to be some uh, distrust or frustration in the political sense coming from these emerging classes towards their, the current governments. But another uh, hypothesis is that, that the, what those emerging classes have uh, uh, achieved 
is going to create a, a dynamic of dissatisfaction that which is not going to be not going to follow a typical trajectory uh, as indicated by Carlos Reagan or better said it's not it's not going to necessarily lead to a generational um, uh, watershed. What we've seen in recent years is that countries that have been relatively successful in terms of the growth of middle classes like Chile and Brazil, they have experienced a lot of um, mobility uh, of, and a lot of prote protest towards the governments that have, in theory, uh, have actually helped them arise. With Chile, there's, there's been... It's very, very significant because the social protests have been very uh, strong against the Piñera administration. And to a certain degree, it was due to the fact that it was due to the... It was uh, uh, due to the different characteristics of the Piñera government and in contrast to the Lagos government. But there is another explanation, and that is that the same success that has given rise to the middle classes also means that new demands are being put uh, upon uh, government and public policies. If you forgive us uh, a caricature, if Ricardo Lagos had enabled access to university by the middle classes, by the emerging middle classes through the use of credits loans. And now during the government uh, of Piñera, the, the second son of a family cannot go to university. And furthermore, and that it means more credit and more loans. And that means the next uh, uh, financial indebtedness that a family can't afford. And secondly, and Consequently, and also uh, debt has increased. But what once had at the time had been a very reasonable measure to enable access to university education by the emerging middle class now began and now has begun to have negative uh, consequences or has become very inconvenient and it's been gravely resented. And the new emerging classes have uh, felt uh, very bitter about that. As you know, this hypothesis fits well with the idea that that those who have come out of poverty, like I'm talking about 70%, are, are emerging middle-class people who are vulnerable. That's to say, so when the interest rates go up, something which is something very basic, or when you talk about the degree of resources that uh, are available to resolve uh, a market problem, means that... Um, the aspirations of the emerging middle class can be put in danger by uh, these economic factors. There's also a third hypothesis, and that's the... If you look at the traditional middle classes and, you, and, if, and how they're reacting with the emerging middle classes and the competition for resources, and there's been a scramble for resources which both... Uh, sets of middle classes will not be able to get access to. Maybe in teaching this is more difficult to explain, but it, and when it comes to uh, transport, uh, it's in San Pablo, there's no doubt. You can see that there are too many cars and there are too many, uh, and there's too much, uh, too little uh, urban transport. It doesn't, and that it doesn't work well, and that's why government 
uh, is asked why has it invested so much uh, in the World Cup uh, instead of actually investing in infrastructure so that everybody can get around. This is the, uh, the case for uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil. Now you can ask why is there a deficit of infrastructure uh, in countries that have been economically successful in the re most recent years and why public services are insufficient or deficient and if you will permit me that I actually step onto step on step onto economic terrain. I think one of the problems is that they have, there have been public policies that have been formed that favour the the poor and the most um, vulnerable sectors of society uh, following uh, the policy of the Bank the World Bank of the nineteen seventies and uh, public policy is not being formulated that have been enabled the uh, emerging middle class to consolidate their position and also the traditional uh, middle classes as well. And my opinion is is that if you want to improve the degree level, the fiscal degree, then you have to offer traditional middle classes some sort of compensation or advantage. To all, in order to encourage them to pay their taxes. So it's very difficult, as, as people have been saying this morning, to convince people that if you finance uh, a rural schools where you're not going to send your children to, you will be better off. So that kind of mix and getting that mix right is very complicated. So we're in a situation where the middle class have stopped growing or seem least to have stopped growing due to the the um, uh, stop in China's uh, growth. Now, this is one particular analysis. You could be more pessimistic because China has uh, problems of uh, governance, but we know that China has an amazing ability to surprise us, and that is not something that we can take for granted, and we cannot say that the Chinese economy has definitely stopped growing and it could be that the growth does return. But in, in the event that it does happen, we're going to have a problem with a lot of uh, frustrations uh, of, dashed, of uh, let's say, dashed hopes because people were hoping to become middle class. Or there's going to be a degree of um, eh, malaise in amongst the traditional middle classes. So what can you do in this kind of situation? If I were an economist, I would have prepared a PowerPoint presentation and, and in, a, in a karaoke sort of style, as one of my friends who's an economist says, and I would also put up a nice uh, graphic display uh, showing the social profiles in Peru and in Latin America by the um, UNDP showing the impact of public policies and it would show, and it would show policy, public policies for income redistribution and also economic growth. And it would show um, how this relates to the uh, middle classes. Some cl countries like Mexico, and the uh, middle classes emerged because of redistribution of income. Whereas in Colombia, no, don't tell me off, okay? This is what other people, this is what the UNDP say, and I'm not going to criticise them. However, in other countries. Sorry, other countries like Colombia, not Mexico. All the growth of the middle classes has been due to the whole market dynamic without there being any kind of um, de a defects in the redistribution public policies, maybe because they haven't been uh, to great measure. So, so this isn't just about historic interest, but also makes you think that there should be some space to actually can keep on promoting 
the growth of the middle classes through public policies and that the state should actually play a, a bigger role and that way avoid the whole issue of dashed hopes. However, the, there is the problem that how do you finance it? How do you finance those public policies? And can you actually perform them without uh, putting in danger the growth of the market? It's not a small problem. As I said, I think that there is space to do that and the problem is actually putting together for, uh, policies where that are mutually beneficial to the traditional and emerging middle classes and uh, the poor and the most vulnerable members of society and also as I say the emerging middle class can actually see all their hopes actually fulfilled and be satisfied that their aspirations are going to become reality as in one of the powerpoints that I saw this morning there was a um, an image that we would call um, upper classes as as residual classes which made me I found very very funny it's it's true because in truth we we don't know what's there but we suspect that there are there is in the upper middle class that doesn't actually doesn't uh, declare its income fully and the upper mid upper class that doesn't uh, declare its income either. But for those uh, upper echelons of society, um, we think that that, uh, that they control the wealth of the nation and we need to have the policies that are not, uh, that do not uh, lead to expropriation or catastrophic, but for traditional middle classes and the emerging ones, uh, you, you need to do is actually present public policies that would actually benefit them mutually um, and simultaneously and actually uh, lead to better uh, taxation management. All of this sounds very simple, but it's not. First of all, in order to have that, all of that, you need to have political parties which have some credibility. That means that you also need to have institutions, including, including the uh, public government, that has a certain degree of, of transparency and efficiency. This, I say, is very easy to say, but it's not so easy to do. I say it every year, um, but not anybody pays any attention. But as I say, all of this is very difficult to do in its official circle because citizens don't uh, uh, trust their institutions because institutions are not uh, trustworthy. They make money disappear very quickly, which is un, un, and it actually bothers most members of the public a lot. And it also, uh, also frustrates those people who are unpaying taxes and who are being asked to pay more taxes. So if you have institutions that have very low credibility, then you have a very serious problem. But also, if you have political parties that are also fragile as, a, as institutions in so much as that they either depend on one leader or on, or on a cohort of support that, that is fragile too, then it's very difficult to trust, to make people trust in a, pro, in a political project that deals with long-term income redistribution that will be long-lasting and that will be trustworthy in its execution. So this takes us to, to, to the key the, of the, 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 the nut crux of the problem. We, in general, we do not have... In general, 
we're not going through a good uh, phase for political parties where you have uh, political parties that are well rooted and structured then you have parties that come back go go back to another era maybe going they go back to the 1970s and the rise of the political debate in the media which has many virtues also has the very serious thing, uh, disadvantage of the fact that it doesn't favor um uh, worked speeches and thought out speeches in terms it actually favors debates and also and also the media age means that the digital age in which we live in also wants people to say everything in sound bites so all of that doesn't lend itself to credibility especially in this day and age of the media i don't know if you remember maybe that you do you lot of you seem very young but do you remember the debate or the com- the campaign where the president where fernando de la rua was had with um, Carlos Menem, I'm sorry, beg your pardon, Eduardo Eduardo. In that debate between the two men, the two advisors of, of Eduardo, who I think, I'm sorry, but I think one of those advisors was Brazilian, I'm sorry for bringing it out, but I think he was, they used all the chapters of a strategy manual uh, systematically and they kept uh, throwing them away when we saw that Eduardo wasn't actually using them. They tried to use everything. There wasn't no no communication strategy that they didn't use. Eduardo lost the elections, and they ended up having a very high uh, bill to deal with. So I think it's very difficult to actually uh, carry out politics in this media communication age. So I think the problem we have with with the emergence of the middle class and the possibility of actually moving forward in uh in in an in terms of an Aristotle Aristotle definition of society is that we need to have parties that are capable of offering uh, to the public uh, models uh and public policies that uh, are satisfactory and that are compatible with the the markets and the aspirations and social justice thank you very much